Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Randy? Well, I'm doing pretty good as well. And uh, I was wondering if you would like to do a little reminiscing with us and our audience today. Well, sure. That sounds like fun. What do you want me to reminisce about? The time in your life that I would like you to reminisce about. It is the 2013 FPA World Championships where you partnered with Arthur Coddington in pairs. And I want you to talk about the finals where you guys, I believe, went up first or second and you watching all the other teams play. And it was an incredibly deep field. So I was just wondering if you could talk about how going up early and then watching the rest of the field play and what that was like for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me just set the stage a little bit before going into that. So so Arthur and I teamed up, I think, the year before at uh, US Open or, or uh, WIFTIF. I can't remember which it was, but it was a it was in Santa Barbara. It was a big tournament, and we we just hooked up and put together a routine a couple of days before, and somehow we just clicked. Like we worked really well as partners. We could feed off of each other. We had total confidence in each other, and when we played in the finals, it was amazing. And we both said we should do this again. And I had actually already planned to play with Dave Murphy, and he spontaneously came up to me and he said you and Arthur are so good together, I'm willing to step back if you guys want to play together. I didn't say it to him. Arthur didn't say it to him. He just came up to me and said that. And so I talked to Arthur and we agreed, play together. So, okay, so now fast forward, we're at the Worlds 2013 and uh, we've spent a ton of time putting together this routine. We're really proud of it. It's like we, our goal was to pack as much diff content in as we could. And we felt like we had accomplished the goal. So the semifinals... Uh, we play and we just do not play well. We drop, uh, we don't hit the music, we don't, it's just bad, right? So we walk off the field and we think, well, we're not making it to the finals. That sucks, but oh well, that happens sometimes. And then somehow we snuck in. I don't know what happened, but we snuck into the finals. And so that's why we were playing really early. And we came in with these high expectations. And then we're like, well, we're playing early, so we're going to go do our best, but. No, we don't expect anything to happen because it's pretty hard to win from the back. So then we go out there and play and we hit, like, I think we had one drop maybe. And so you could see in the replay of the video, we walk off the field and like Arthur turns around. He just like looks at the field and savors the moment. And I'm just standing there going, yep, we just did what we came to do. Even if we don't win, it doesn't matter, right? We just came, we just did what we came to do. So we felt really good, really proud of ourselves at that point. Um, And then we sat down and we're like, well, we played early, so we probably won't win, but that was a winning routine, and so we're proud of that. And then we watch, and everyone else plays well. So we're like, you know, whatever happens, happens. No big deal. And and everyone else did play well. There were some really great routines. And then when the announcements come out, and we're not third, and we're not second, it's like, holy crap. It was so, so rewarding. Such a great feeling at that moment to, like, not only did we do what we came to do, we came from the back, and we got it. So I don't know. I don't know how else to say it any better than that. It was just an amazing experience. 
I was in that final, so I remember all of the stuff going down, and it was a deep field. And I didn't see you and Arthur play, but Tommy Leitner and I were paired up, and we had like one drop, and we got fifth. So I was like, wow. And I did get to go back and watch a video of you and Arthur, and you guys crushed, and it was really awesome. So thanks for sharing your perspective of that experience. My pleasure. So who do we have on the docket for today? Well, we are going to continue our conversation with Skippy Jammer, and he is going to share his experience of being at Sonoma State University and the burgeoning Frisbee scene there. So enjoy. I wanted to go to Sonoma because I had heard about the Frisbee class. So they they taught a class in Frisbee there. You get a, a unit, a PE unit. And so I'm going, wow, that sounds great. That's what I want to do. So then I also to backtrack a little bit. So I was taking classes at Modesto Junior College in 78. And I would forget to drop these classes because it was a beautiful spring day. And we're all playing Frisbee out on the lawn. And it's time to go to Geology 101. I go, it's such a nice day. I, you know, I don't need to go. And then, well, I didn't go on Tuesday. I don't, maybe I shouldn't go today. I haven't done my homework. And then I would just drop the class, but not drop it. You know, I would just stop going. So when I went to Sonoma State, then I applied and they said, oh my God, your GPA is less than your body weight, which wasn't much at the time. So I had a GPA of like 1.2 or something like that. So I had to take class. So I still moved there. And I took the bus to Santa Rosa Junior College, and that's where I started to, to jam with the guys at Santa Rosa JC. And then on the weekends, then I was able to be part of that whole UFO scene. But the scene at Sonoma, in this is 1979, 1980, it was, oh my God, it was just literally, there were 60 people on campus that could nail delay, and they were playing every day. And it was so fun, and you had these great players like Rose and, and Don Bond and Bill Kaplan and um, Corey Basso, all of these great players. So that's what really elevated my game. It was just being able to play with, with people all the time, playing with people who were better than me. I went on a run from 1979 until probably 1984, where I literally, I did not play less than 20 hours a week, nonstop. I was always playing. I was barely passing my classes. Um, I didn't have a job. All I wanted to do was play Frisbee. And I was able to do that with such a profound level of, of applying myself. And there's that the thing, I don't know if you've seen it, but the 10,000 hour rule where you know once you once you've done it uh, something for ten thousand hours and you should have mastered it, well, I probably went thirty thousand hours with this stuff. It just was it's part of me. It became part of me. So Skippy, I know um, you and Rodney Sanchez played a lot in the early days. Can you tell us how you met him? Yeah. So um, again, I was taking the frisbee class, and uh, you know the whole UFO scene, the United Flyers of Sonoma. And so I'm watching this ultimate game that was part of the class. And there's this one kid, tall, skinny guy, and he was all over the field and constantly diving, making these tremendous diving catches. So I go, who's that? I can't remember who I was standing next to, Don Dutton or something like that. And they go, who? I say, the guy who's diving, you know, Horace, the, the guy going horizontal. So I started to call him Horace, Horace for horizontal. And so um, they go, well, his name is Rodney. I don't know who he is. So I go up to him. I go, 
hey, Horace, you're good. And he's looking at me like he doesn't know what to make of me. He doesn't even know me. I go, yeah, you're really good. I'm going to keep my eye on you. So sure enough, we started to become friends. He he started to learn how to to, uh, freestyle. I needed a partner because my partner at the time was John Jewell, but he was living way down in in, um, L.A. uh, slash San Diego. So we weren't able to spend quality time. I needed somebody I could jam with all the time. And so Rodney was, was my inspiration, and he was my mentee. So he was also he was a great athlete. So he was able to to do things that a lot of other people couldn't do just because he was so athletic. So that's how you meet Rodney. But did he know you as Kevin Givens or Skippy Jammer at that moment? And that being said, once you answer that, how did you get the nickname Skippy Jammer? I think that was post Skippy Jammer. So he probably knew me by the nickname. So the the Skippy Jammer story. Okay. Um, so. 1981, Santa Cruz World Disc Tournament. Prior to that, then um, I'd gone to a tournament up in Vancouver, BC, in Canada, and I won there with Corey Basso, and I became really good friends with uh, with Bill King, John Anthony, and Jim Brown, the Kitsilano Coastal Cats, if, we, if you will. Well, back in that day, when you'd go to a tournament, then these guys would do these stage shows, kind of like a a roving Monty Python uh, satire bent on just trying to amuse themselves and confuse others. It was really, that's what it was in essence. They didn't want to amuse other people. They wanted to amuse themselves, but confuse other people because they were so esoteric. That was what I aspired to be was part of this group. I wanted, you know, that was, yeah, I'm into that. And they produced a, a periodical called Paw Magazine. Peddlers Against the World, I think it was the acronym, but I don't know. It probably had other meanings as well. So we would send these articles into Paw Magazine and get them published. So it was really a thrill when they asked me to be part of their of their entourage for the Gong Show at the World Disc Tournament 1981. It was a Saturday evening entertainment, and so um, we did a fashion show and so we're, we're practicing our routine up in Sonoma at the time and John Anthony says everybody needs stage names so uh, he looks at me and goes you're going to be Skippy Jammer go, okay and then Evan uh, David was Sandy Kelp um, he was Reagan Bacon I can't remember some of the other names I was the MC for the show so I was able to stand up there and introduce all of the, the fashion um, irregularities if you will and we won the gong show at the time but then overnight, then the judges started to realize that this was all over their head. We were making fun of them and we were insulting them without them knowing it. And once they got wind of that, then they, they revoked our title as Gong Show champions and gave it to uh, Rick Montgomery and the Coloradicals. So so that was the next day, the very next day. And then um, John Jewell and I go out and we win the tournament. So what's interesting here is that no one ever told me that the gong show was over. I was still in character from the night before. I still was acting out my role as Skippy Jammer. So when we won, it wasn't Kevin Gibbons winning. It was Skippy Jammer from the gong show was winning the tournament. And from that point forward, it was all history. And you still are in character. It's over 45 yet. years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't know you were Kevin Gibbons for a really long time. At some point, somebody <laughs> says said your name, and I'm like, "Who? Who is that? What are you talking about?" Might have been, I don't know. I don't remember what. It, I don't remember exactly when that happened, but it was a shock. I was like, well, I thought you were actually named Skippy Jammer. 
for one of the UFOs um, tournament newspapers that went out, I actually interviewed myself. So Kevin Gibbons interviewing Skippy Chammer. That's out there somewhere. I'm not sure where. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so okay. now Rodney knows you as Skippy. And yeah. He's becoming your partner. So uh, how yeah. does that evolve? So a slight diversion here um, in that we were playing basketball a little bit. Uh, Rodney was a, an extraordinary high school athlete. He was on the Los Gatos High School football team and the basketball team. In fact, um, we would we would play on occasion in the gym, and he caught the eye of the head coach of the men's basketball team there, at Sonoma State, and he was he was constantly hounding Rodney to come out for the team. He had a, he literally had a standing spot on the varsity team. All he had to do was say yes and start showing up to practice. The coach really thought that much of Rodney. So one time we were in the gym and it was like a, on a rainy Saturday in winter and um, we're jamming and it's me, Rodney and Bob uh, Gossett and a couple other people. So I think Don Dutton was there too. And um, the football team shows up and they come walking in, they start shooting baskets and they're crowding our space. And so I just respectfully go up and said, Hey, you know, we've been here. We're, you know, we don't, we're not getting in your way. Um, do you mind if we just play over here? And they said, no, you don't understand. We're going to play basketball. Now you guys have to leave. I said, tell you what, how about we play you guys and whoever wins gets to keep the gym. Oh, they love that. They thought that was just a hoot. So I go, Hey, Rodney, um, uh, get Bobo and Dutton over here and the, the, whoever the fifth was. I said, we're going to play these guys in the game of basketball. We run them off the floor. They had no chance against us. We literally just wiped the floor with these guys. They were so humiliated. And we walk out of the gym. We were so proud. We just had uh, destroyed the psyche of the entire Sonoma State football program in that one sweeping moment of, uh, me and Rodney, give and go, lay up. We're up 15-3 or something like that. It was just a demolish them. That's funny. Okay, so I'm looking at the notes here, and there's um, – I see the other sports. We just talked about basketball, but we haven't talked about – you talked about climbing, but not driving cars. Is yeah, there so, a driving so car I'll, story? Well, uh, so – when I started to, to get into Frisbee, then what my mindset at the time was, was I was really into rock climbing. I, I was living two and a half hours from Yosemite. Uh, so I was, I loved stretching the rope out, putting myself at risk, uh, challenging myself. And what happened was I was able to develop this, this ability to have intense focus. When you're sitting there on the sharp end of the rope and you're looking at a potential 30-foot fall or you fall, you die, like my mother was describing, that kind of stuff, then I was able to develop this intense focus that I was able to apply later when I got into to Frisbee. But I was also into really into skiing. I was, I was a banshee out of hell. What my favorite thing to do skiing was, was I would wait behind the top of the chairlift for the ski patrol to start sweeping the mountain. I would wait in the trees. They were starting to go down the mountain, and I would just come like a bat out of hell, and I'd go flying past them and challenge them to catch me. And they didn't have a chance. They never had a chance. Because I, every ski run I ever did was with maximum intensity. And it was the same kind of way of just applying my concentration and my physical ability. And then also driving cars. I did it the same way. One time my... My my dad brings home a Mazda Rotary RX three and and proudly 
displays it to the family. I think I was 19 years old at the time. 32,000 miles later, my dad takes that very same car back to the dealer and said, this thing's a piece of crap. It's like, this, it runs terrible. It's This car is, is terrible. And so then the mechanic looks at it and he comes back and goes, Mr. Gibbons, you didn't tell us that you were racing this car. And my dad goes, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit. Nobody's racing this car. And he comes home and he said, he said Kevin, have you been driving that car fast? And I go, why, Dad? And he goes, well, they just told me that it's completely wrecked. I go, well, I never lost. Is that what you mean? And he's like, what? <laughs> I couldn't even apologize. It's just, I just, again, I, shouldn't, I couldn't show restraint when I was so inspired to do something like that. Oh, that's funny. That's a that's a common thread running throughout your life is maximum intensity. Yeah. yeah, maximum intensity. And so when I got into Frisbee, that was how I applied myself to it, again, with that maximum intensity. Which is an interesting kind of uh, irony or uh, an oxymoron because freestyle is sort of just the the, the word and the, the play itself kind of doesn't really lend itself to maximum intensity. So it's interesting that you were able to merge those two energies and find the synchronicity in it. Yeah. So what was interesting was when I was, you know, it wasn't always like that. If I was at a, a Chico tournament or, you know, or a fun tournament, then yeah, I'm playing with, for the for the right reasons and all that. But if it's if it's a major title, if it's an FBA world or a US Open or something like that where it was really there was money on the line and there was trophies and titles and all of that stuff. That's what I played for. That was what my entire purpose of being here on on earth was, was to excel in those situations. When I would walk off after my routine, typically I couldn't talk to anybody for at least 15 minutes, half an hour. I would have to go decompress and somehow get out of that mindset and go back and be the nice, friendly guy that I am. But it's like I really had to go through that decompression walking off the field, and I couldn't talk to anybody. You're my best friend. I'm sorry. You need to leave me alone right now. I need to I need to come back to this. And that was that's how I did it. It's, it's just who I was. You would never know that uh, just, you know, being your friend. And I never I never competed with you, so I never got a window into that energy yeah. of yours. So it's interesting to hear you describe that. So this may be a slightly sequitur, but it just came to my mind as you were describing your your come down. Did you have any any special ceremonies that you went through, like getting into that mindset before you went into competition? I didn't have any methods or or techniques. I would just I think I was just able to go deep just on my own. Just you know, I would just have to separate myself. But even with distractions, I was still able to do it. I remember at one big U.S. Open tournament, then Leonard Muse comes up to me and he start and he um has some big issue that I have to help solve for him. And and so it was I can't remember what it was the detail of it, but I had to completely stop what I was doing. Focus in on what's going on with Leonard, solve his problem. And then he goes, oh, my God, you're about ready to go on. And I go, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, oh, I'm sorry I bothered you. And I go, well, I'm okay. So I was able to, you know, I guess through doing it repetitively, I was able to still be able to go deep into that zone and be able to, to pull off what I was trying to do. Well, that's a pretty big skill set to be able to just flip the switch on and off. I mean, that's, you know, obviously you must have learned that over time, probably not right when you got out of the gate, but something you were able to fine tune as you Mm -hmm. became a mature player. I'm sure that that skill comes from all of the other sports that you played that were such intense sports like rock climbing and skiing and doing those things that require so much attention probably gave you that ability. So it's pretty cool to see the thread running through your life. 
So, so Skippy, how did you meet Tommy Leitner? I know he's been a longtime friend of yours, longtime partner. Would love to hear how you guys met. Okay, so this goes back to when I was living up in Sonoma. Larry Imperiali has now moved down to the San Jose area, where he, and he was working at a company called Triad Systems, and they would do this big, um, I think it was a springtime sports day, where they had volleyball and, and softball games, and it was a huge picnic. So he asked me to come down and do a, uh, a demo with him. I said, sure, that sounds fun. So I come down, Triad Systems uh, Picnic, and we do the show with Larry. And then he introduces me to this lady that he works with, Rita Leitner. I go, nice to meet you, Rita. Rita. And uh, she goes, and this is my young son, Tommy, little Tommy. I go, nice to meet you, little Tommy. And so I remembered him from that day. And then go back to Sonoma, go into back into my world. Meanwhile, Rodney Sanchez was um, the tournament director for the 1984 uh, Sonoma Mountain Tournament. So that was part of him, you know, coming up to speed with some of the other people putting on tournaments. It was his turn to run a tournament. So so I got a a couple of free kegs of Lohenbrow, and Rodney's trying to carry this keg of Lohenbrow onto the field and it throws it back out, completely blows him up. He's done. So now he can't even play. Now, beyond that, Rodney comes up to me one day and he goes, so um, uh, after I graduate, I'm going to Europe. And I go, wait, hold on a second. Back up. You said you said the G word. What was that again? I'm going to graduate. I go, why would you want to graduate? It's like what we're doing here is so incredible. Why would you ever want to leave this? It was it was beyond my my comprehension why someone would not want to be completely broke, but playing Frisbee every single day but no other purpose in their life. I mean, isn't that what this is all about? And so Rodney graduates, devastating. I have no partner. There's nobody left. So this Tommy, little Tommy kid shows up on the field one day up in Sonoma. And the way he tells it was, I was having a kegger party and his his mom, Rita, drove him up and dropped him off. I think he was 18 years old. And so I had to take care of Tommy during the kegger party and put him up at my house. And so then we started to play a little bit. And he had these big Coke bottle glasses and he looked kind of goofy and he was shy. Wasn't too sure of himself. But man, it was the most extraordinary thing happens when you throw a Frisbee to him. It was like watching water flow over a rock. It was there was something there. And I just go, wow, that that's special. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody be able to do it like that. So it kind of stuck in my mind. And I started to connect with the mom and say, hey, you know, can I borrow Tommy for the weekend? Um, And so he'd come up and he'd stay with me for the weekend. And then we started to play a lot together. And then we played at an Indian summer. I think it was 1985, 1985 Indian summer. And we the chemistry was there and we won. It was like, oh, my God, that was it. That was amazing. I can't believe how we were able to feed off of each other. Now, fast forward, 1986 U.S. Open, La Mirada. I'm playing with John Jewell and Rick Castiglia. And Rick sets me um, a fade guidance. I go up for it. And when I come down, my foot slides out. I think it was too low. That's what it was. And the set was too low. And I committed to it. I caught it. And it blew up my left shoulder. I had a second degree, uh, second degree shoulder separation. I was out for, the doctor said, three months. Um, I think it was five weeks later. I'm at, the, I'm at World Disc Santa Cruz. 
yeah, 86 World Dick Santa Cruz. And I'm not playing. I'm injured. Tommy um, was going to play with, I think, Paul Klimmer, who was riding his bike out from Colorado to literally riding his bike from Colorado to Santa Cruz. And he didn't make it. So now Tommy doesn't have a partner. I go, well, you know what? Do you want to play? I can't go very hard, but, you know, let's just give it a go. And maybe it'll be fun. He goes, yeah, sure. sounds good. We win the tournament. We win the entire tournament. And from that point forward, I go, I think I found my partner. So now I'm transitioning from Sonoma. Um, I take a job at UC Santa Cruz running the sports programs there. And I talk Tommy into coming to live with me. And we're, li- we're living at the top of 12th Avenue, uh, Guidus Beach, we would later call it. So Tommy is now my roommate. And every single day when I get home from, from work, we go down to the beach. And, and that became our lab. Also, at the same time was when I was developing and perfecting skid technology. When I was started to go through this transformative process, how I mentioned basketball earlier, and starting to play basketball competitively and doing it a lot changed how I looked at frisbee, how, how I looked at freestyle. Freestyle was a very centric endeavor. A lot of standing in the same place or the same proximity. There was no moving around. I wanted to play freestyle like I was Michael Jordan. I wanted to go from A to B with as much explosive ability as possible. So using skids is, how, is what opened up my game. Instead of just a regular width of spin swoop, I wanted something technical with it. So I, so I started doing skids on the beach in firm wind and running and jumping and wiping out. And that's what, that's what happened. And Tommy was my partner. And so we both dove into this game. And that, was, that became the Santa Cruz game. That running, uh, active, being athletic, wiping out, taking it to the edge, having skids as part of that, uh, lots of rolls, big catches, turbos, vacations, flying flods. Yeah, so that was, that's what was really cool. And, that, and having Tommy there with me, I couldn't have done it without him. Yes, Skippy, you did find your partner in Tommy. And uh, it was really great for me, uh, especially to hear how that all came about, because both Skippy and Tommy had a huge influence on me as a new player. So I started playing in Santa Rosa, which is in the Bay Area where Skippy and Tommy played all the time, and they mentored me quite a bit. And so I want to share one story about Skippy and how he mentored me kind of spontaneously. So I went to one of his beach tournaments, the Tampico Open. It was my second tournament of my life. And Skippy used to have these uh, this special judging system that he would use. I won't go into a ton of detail, but there was um, one feature where you could call a timeout and then call for a substitution. I'm playing out there with my cloud. We're like first up or something. It's my second tournament. We're just jamming, right? And I call a timeout and I look at the audience and Skippy throws up his hand and goes, me, 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 call me in, call me in. So I, Skippy, you're in. And so, boom, now the three of us are out there playing and I'm in my tournament with Skippy. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. How could that happen? And so Skippy is not only playing with us, he's like traffic cop. He's like, Mike, you go to the right. Jake, you go to the left. I'm going to roll it across. You're going to hoop. You're going to catch. And then suddenly we're just like doing all these amazing combos and co-ops and like, holy crap, my game has just elevated because I'm getting this real-time live coaching with Skippy Jammer. So that jam, that experience had a huge impact on how I play. Thanks, Skippy. That was an amazing experience for me. I love that. I love that it was the real-time coaching. You know, you're already kind of feeling a little nervous. It's your second tournament, and there's like the legend Skippy, and he's just there live coaching you. What a what a cool experience. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, hey, Jake, on that note, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. 
Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh, yeah!